Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and it's showtime here again in Birch County on this beautiful Easter weekend on Global Warming. Spring, summer, winter. This is a great global warming last few years that we've had, folks. These winters have been wonderful the last three years here in southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware Valley. And it's a great weekend, a great Easter weekend. And uh, happy Easter to everybody. Uh, welcome to our show if you haven't been with us and if you're tuning in for the first time. And, of course, if you're with us every week, we appreciate you being with us every week. We thank you for giving us your ear every Saturday morning. And you have been for the last five years right here on AM Radio, 11 EWFYL, right here at this channel because you know we're an oasis of truth that you can bank on every day. And uh, we thank you for that. And the truth does come at you very quickly. It seems like it moves at the speed of sound, folks, and that's because it does. Folks, we're going to jump right into some news here. And again, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how the Republicans are netting super majorities all over the place. We're also going to talk a little bit about some polls that showed Donald Trump expanding leads and uh, how CNN polls say Joe Biden and Democrats are saying that 70 percent of Americans, 70 percent, they lack stamina and sharpness. We're going to get into, uh, obviously, what's going on in the, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the point of no return with this indictment and no one is above a law how this double standard is like uh, otherwise known as give me a break. Uh, folks, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about an Oregon law that just came out, <clears throat> basically disqualifying Christians from adoption. We'll talk a little bit about that, too. It's an amazing phenomenon that's going on in our world, folks. We are in a battle for the right and the decent. This is no longer a political war here, folks, a political battle. <clears throat> this is a battle for the traditions and constructs of our country. The Democrat Party wants to totally burn them down to the ground. And this is why we're going to get into why Republicans are getting supermajorities. Folks, they're doing it from people flipping seats, basically, uh, you know, Democrats switching parties. But first, I want to talk about Easter. It's it's great, folks, that this is a Easter weekend as a Christian. Uh, Easter has such a significant meaning for, uh, for Christians uh, because Jesus overcame death. And that's what Christians celebrate with Easter. You know, many are trying to blur or even redefine Easter. It's it's irrefutable, folks, that Jesus was crucified proclaiming to be God. He died, and, and yes, he rose again. He was crucified for replying to the high priest who asked, who are you? With, you know, with, with you know, and, and he, he was asked that question, and, uh, you know, he he. He uh, basically replied with, I am the anointed, the son of the uncreated God. And he went on with, you shall see me appearing at the end of all history as the judge of the universe. I mean, the, the, uh, he was not crucified for, for being a good teacher or a prophet, folks. You know, he, was pro he, he produced three effects. Jesus produced three effects on people. Hatred, fear, and adoration, or adoration, I should say more. And, you know, he declared consistently to those that he was addressing, all right, that, he, he, you know, I, I forgive your sins. I mean, who could forgive sins but God? Okay, Jesus declared he forgives sins of people throughout the Gospels. Well, in his declaration that he is forgiving sins, he is, by, by, by that, defining himself as God. He declared that no one needs to fast while he's with them. I mean, who's... Who is this 
who is this Jesus who claims that his mere presence suspends all rules? Folks, he raised the dead, he healed the sick and lame. All the miracles of the Bible happened. Christ defeated death. Who is it who can defeat death, folks? Who is it? You know, when Jesus said he has overcome the world, Jesus said he, Jesus overcame death and overcame the world, folks. This is what Easter is all about. It's our celebration of such. Uh, we thank God that he lives and uh, Christ Jesus lives today, folks. Happy Easter, everybody. Now, let's get to the news a little bit. I want to jump into it. And, uh, you know, the America first optimistic alternative to globalism, what's really interesting is what we're seeing right now in the supermajorities. I got to get into this because this really is intriguing to me. Okay, you had a special election in, in, in Wisconsin where a guy by the name of uh, Nodal, uh, uh, he basically gave Republicans a supermajority in the Senate, and there are just two seats from two seats from a supermajority in the House. Now, everybody in the media made a big deal about how the Wisconsin spe uh, Supreme Court just uh, flipped, uh, basically had a had a liberal put on that Supreme Court. Everybody said, oh my goodness, the state's flipping. The state's flipping. Everyone overlooked this part of the news, okay, which I think is interesting. So here come the fake experts on CNN and MSNBC, and they're all talking about the Supreme Court justice in the state of Wisconsin. The Supreme Court justice that this is this liberal communist judge that just flipped the court. I believe it's now four to three. So there's three conservatives, four liberals on there, four, uh, you know, four, uh, four, well, this last guy is a known progressive socialist, but whatever, it's four to three. The problem is, and what we have to understand, the, the legislation in any state is divided up by this. You have the state assemblies, the state senates, the governor, and then you have the, the Supreme Courts. That's what you have, the Supreme Court. Of course, you have all the appellate courts that lead up to it. But in essence, you've got four branches of government that way in state and national politics. Even in national politics, you have the House, the Senate, the executive branch, and then, of course, you have the, the court. So the, it's just a form. It's just one of the controlling powers. So what the people did is they said, we're going to, because, again, the House and the Senate are the closest to the people. So, I mean, you, these elections are turning in favor of Republicans, and they're doing that. The state has a supermajority now in the in the Senate and a near supermajority in the House. Yes, they elected a Democrat governor, and now they've just elected a communist on the Supreme Court. But make no mistake about it, the Republicans still control the legislation. The legislation with a supermajority in the Senate and a near super in the House, there are only two seats for a super in the House. It's not it's not hard for them to get common sense legislation through. And have a governor sign on to it anyway, because quite honestly, these Democrats and what people are seeing, and I think I see, is that these these Democrats only they they're like the Jekyll and Hyde of politics. Okay, they're like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Now we all know the story of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Mister Hyde is the evil side of Doctor Jekyll. So Doctor Jekyll is the actual doctor, and he ends up uh, having some problems medically, or he gets some. He ends up getting some, I don't know, some some injection or something causes him to go into Mr. Hyde. And Mr. Hyde is the is the evil alter alter ego of Dr. Jekyll. So you have Dr. Jekyll, who's also Mr. Hyde. The evil side of Dr. Jekyll is what comes out of Mr. Hyde. 
So the Democrats, what's interesting about Democrats is they're like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde personality. So, they, you know, they'll be out there. So the governor, you know, any sensible governor can say, okay, well, I can, I can be sensible with Republicans. Like even in Pennsylvania, we have a majority, not a super majority, but we have a majority in the Senate and we have a, uh, a near majority in the House. Obviously, we have a one seat minority. I, I think we're, it's, it's even, it's even in the House. They have a one seat advantage that these do. But what's interesting is that the governor's going to have to work with that. And it's not hard for the for a Democrat communist to put on his his Dr. Jekyll, this Dr. Jekyll, uh, you know, side, if you will, and political side. In other words, he, he they can be sensible when they want to be. And they kind of turn it on and off like a switch, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, you know, I mean, the, the Mr. Hyde only comes out when the when the communists run all the branches of government. We saw the Mr. Hyde and Joe O'Biden, didn't we, folks? When uh, when he had the majority in the House and the Senate, he was putting through all this communist stuff, and he obviously was passing through all these communists that were in his in his uh, you know his cabinet, if you will. And uh, you know, so we know what we know what Democrats can do. They they do play the game well, and uh, you know that uh, they all know. They, they, they play it well. They play it well, and they, they understand that. So, you know, when you look at, for instance, you know, in the Senate, you know, you understand the Senate has to do, and the U.S. Senate has to do confirmation. So when they put in there the uh, Attorney General Garland and, you know, of course, you know, Lloyd, Lloyd, uh, you have Lloyd, uh, you know, you have Lloyd Austin Powers, okay, as the Secretary of Defense. You've got Janet Wellen Yellen, okay, the Federal Reserve Chair, You've got other people in here. Uh, you know, again, the they're just oh, the, oh, then we have the the epitome of competency here with uh, with uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. He is like the caricature of of of, of somebody who is totally incompetent. Of course, we have the Secretary of Tra- Transportation who doesn't know anything about transportation. Uh, you know, Pete Buttigieg, and then we have the uh, you know we can go on and on, but I mean. Uh, the bottom line is, folks, that, that what Democrats are good at doing when they want to is they're good at trying to make it look like they're, you know, they're playing the game. But so in Wisconsin, with the supermajority in the House and the Senate, uh, they're they're going to be controlling a lot of stuff. So never fear. And again, that to me is the bigger deal. Not the not the the governor, not the judge's seat there, uh, but that seat there. And I believe uh, it's just interesting because. Uh, they can do a veto on that governor, and that's that's the best part about it. You won't get any craziness past these people. But what's interesting is, so that's one guy in Wisconsin that won his seat. We also had the uh, we also had the Republicans flip a seat in Louisiana with Francis Thompson. He he was a Democrat and now returned Republican. So he's he's another one switching parties in Louisiana, and he's giving Republicans in Louisiana another supermajority in the state assembly. For the first time ever, as in ever, as in ever, as in like ever in the state of the history of the state of Pennsylvania, of Louisiana, have the Republicans controlled that house. That's pretty amazing, folks. And, uh, you know, it's really amazing. You know, the Democrats used to be big in the South. Remember that, folks. Republicans back in the, uh, well, it was back in the 50s, or even I should say, why don't we go back to the Civil War when when Abe Lincoln, who was a Republican, I mean, the, the Republicans were in the North, the Democrats were in the South. That's the way it was until, quite frankly, until the 90s. Then you started seeing a switch in the, the basically Republicans were leaving the high tax areas of the North 
to the South, and the Democrats in the South became Republicans. And so uh, that's why these states are so strong in the in the uh, Republican Party, and they and they do. I mean, even in Georgia, where Georgia's got a Republican governor, Republican House, Republican Senate. Yes, they couldn't win. They couldn't win allegedly. Well, they couldn't win the seat the Senate. They couldn't take Herschel Walker couldn't win. Uh, which is an amazing phenomenon, but but they still control the state. All the southern states are controlled. As a matter of fact, folks, 25 states, 25 states have supermajorities in the House and Senate for Republicans. 25 states. The other one was a uh, in North Carolina now. North Carolina just, uh, uh, you know, uh, Trisha Gotham, Gotham, she just announced her departure from the Democrat Party. She's changing her party affiliation to the Republicans now. She's given the Republicans in North Carolina, North Carolina a veto-proof supermajority in both the House and the Senate. So there's another one. There's another one like, well, like Wisconsin. There's a Democrat governor there, but they have a veto-proof House and Senate. I do believe they've got a Democrat governor, I believe. Uh, but anyway, either way, when you have a veto-proof House and Senate, they control everything. Trust me when I tell you. The governor no longer has control of any of it. And so then, then you have the, uh, the the Supreme Court of the state, if, even if that becomes, like in Wisconsin, to that end, uh, where a communist flips and they end up controlling four out of, four out of seven uh, or five out of nine or whatever the count is in the, in the state, even if that's the case, no legislation gets passed. All legislation goes through. You have to realize when legislation goes through, it goes through the House and Senate, and they don't need the governor's signature because they have a supermajority, but they just pass the legislation. So in Wisconsin, they just pass the legislation. The governor's going to be, like, doing nothing over there in Wisconsin. Same thing here in North Carolina. So when the Republicans have supermajorities in the House and Senate, they just pass legislation. They don't need a governor's signature. And the only time it goes to the Supreme Court is if there's a lawsuit on it, and if the if the the law itself is viewed as unconstitutional. See, the Supreme Court only weighs in on that. They only weigh in, or it's supposed to, only weigh in on laws on the constitutionality of a particular law. So keeping that in mind as well. So I wanted to share that with these with these Republicans flipping seats, if you will, or switching parties. And they're, uh, you know, they're basically giving majorities to their uh, the Republican Party in these states. And I just think that's a very, very distinct thing here that we're talking about here. But keep in mind, I mean, what's happening. And I want to get a little bit into what's happened with the with this indictment. I can't miss on that. I want to jump into that while we can. I think that's very, very telling. Now, this indictment is the point of no return. I'm going to just say it is. I mean, when you think about it, it is that, you know, the Roman historian Suetinius, so, 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 okay, described Julius Caesar as timid and non-committal folks i mean you know i mean you know as he approached the rubicon okay uh, so i'm going to basically point to this as the rubicon because the rubicon is like a waterway that at the time it was a demarcation boundary between between gaul and italy proper so basically uh, it was a, a historic place if you will and it was attributed to when caesar's decision to cross the waterway participated a four-year civil war an ultimate dictatorship from the Caesar's dictatorship to the supernatural, if you will. Uh, I mean, that's what it basically did because prior to the crossing, uh, Caesar uttered the now infamous phrase, the die has now been cast, if you will. So that's the, the, the story of the Rubicon. It's kind of a military term. 
but it goes all the way back to Julius Caesar. Look, why we why we don't know for sure whether whether this district attorney Alvin Bragg's catastrophic decision to successfully indict and arraign Trump was partially attributed to or attributable to it an intervening uh an intervening um apparition, if you will, we, we can reasonably conclude that the that his actions of, of this past week have cast a most woeful die for the trajectory of our decadent declining republic. Folks, the thirty-four count formal indictment on Trump laughably meritless on the legal merits and scandalously imprudent on the broader political judgment, folks. It represents a gene that just is not going to go back into the bottle. Now, a whole lot has already been, a whole lot of ink has already been spilled on the glaring legal deficiencies in this case, and a lot of airtime, like we're doing right now, is going to discuss the glaring legal deficiencies of this case, which ought to be so evident to any competent fifth grader, okay, let alone law student, okay, which, uh, which led with, you know, basically, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, this is an underlying New York, this is an amazing thing, okay? When he, you know, when you're indicting people and you're not putting the crime in the indictment, that's a phenomenon we have to uh, address, folks. We have to bring that up. When Alvin Bragg was asked the question in a media gaggle, if you will, and they're talking to him and saying, well, if you're, if you have something, if you have a crime, you need to announce the crime in the indictment and literally Bragg said we don't need a crime <laughs> uh yes you do the sixth the sixth amendment and the constitution says you need a crime and that the that the indictment must be completely completely clear okay not obscured about some some machiavellian scheme you've got going on around the corner but it needs to be a very clear cut indictment that the that you put forward okay I mean, uh, the underlying New York state crime that Trump allegedly violated, and which is the exclusive crime invoked in this formal indictment, you know, falsifying business records, is the first, in the first degree, as a two-year statute of limitations under New York criminal law. Now, the final, the final alleged criminal bookkeeping action of hush money payment to, to, to Stormy Daniels, okay, by by Michael Cohen back in December of 2017. Okay, again, here we go, six years ago, five years ago. The statute of limitations thus told over three years ago. So that that alone should suffice to dismiss the case. But see, Bragg's theory appears to be that he can somehow evade this and simultaneously, folks, amazingly, enhance the misdemeanor to a felony by proving beyond a reasonable doubt, naturally, of course, that Trump's bookkeeping falsifications were done were done in, in furtherance of another crime. But see, Bragg, remarkably, has not said what that crime is. It appears to be, it's, it's, again, it, it appears to be some amorphous combination of skirting federal campaign law and or New York state election law, folks, in the context of Trump's successful 2016 presidential run, still uh, the, the the even the, the for it, it still has a five-year statute of limitations. Okay, so the time is told up. 
and it's well outside this, of Bragg's legitimate prosecutorial ju jurisdiction as a county district attorney. You know, he should not be, we should not be a, be properly, uh, the, the, these laws should not be properly applied, I should say, the latter should not be uh, properly applied to U.S. presidential candidate. I think that comes down to it. You're not going to, you can't charge a, a, you can't properly apply this to a U.S. presidential candidate. Moreover, even ignoring the, 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 the statute of limitations and juris, jurisdictional issues, the very thing Bragg would need to prove to a jury beyond a reasonable doubt, of course, you know, to secure a felony enhancement, is that Trump directed Cohen to make those payments. So it's, re it's rebutted by Cohen himself, who had testified under oath that Trump requested the payments to be made for, you know, to, to spare his family's personal embarrassment. So he, this was already testified by Cohen. And of course, he's, he's, he served jail time, Cohen did. Don't miss that for perjury, okay? So he's a, he's a proven, uh, convicted liar. Look, Alvin Bragg, uh, I, I don't want this to go unstated, is the same George Soros-funded reform communist prosecutor who's overseen a 22% year-over-year increase in, in New York City's crime rate, even as he's downgraded a whopping 52% of felonies to misdemeanors. That's right, folks. So this is what this district attorney does. He doesn't prosecute crime. He doesn't. He's looking for ways to get people off, and he basically down, he, you know, he, he, he downgrades felonies to misdemeanors all the time. In New York City, homicides are spiking. Illegal guns are everywhere. Single women are afraid to walk the streets, and commuters are terrified to ride the trains. Unless some insane person pushes them into oncoming trains, you know how that is. Yet this is how Alvin Bragg, who along with New York State Attorney General Atisha James, ran on an openly explicit Get Trump campaign platform. This is how they choose to spend their time. You know, and this is how they choose to expend prosecutorial resources and seek misdemeanor to felony enhancements. I mean, that's what this is all about. This is going to be a this is going to be a phony felony charge is what it is. Look, the deed's done, okay? This is what it is. It's already been done. They indicted him. You know, and, and if this is not dismissed before and the trial would likely not unfold until later this year or early next year, and the inter in, in the interim, other ambitious prosecutors investigating Trump in Georgia and Washington have now watched Bragg shatter the, the unbroken precedent of the ruling political party. That never criminally indicts a former and a former and defeated president of the opposite political party, which had been until this past week one of the few remaining things to which we might point to distinguish our late stage republic from its third world republic equivalents the world over. You know, perhaps additional indictments, folks, in those jurisdictions are going to follow, but I don't think so because even when you look at what's going on in Georgia. I think Trump made a statement to uh, somebody on the phone. He said, well, find me 11,000 votes. Find me 11,000 votes. Now, what does that mean? I mean, uh, you know, that could be interpreted. It could be just a, a general statement of like, come on. You know, like, I mean, in business, in business, you might say, look, find me another sale. Find me another sale. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the next time, you know, this is what it's all about. Make sure that uh, make sure that things are right. Make sure that the uh, county's right. Make sure things are accurate. That can be interpreted a hundred different ways.
and I'm not a lawyer, okay, but I am smarter than a fifth grader, and I understand that that's what they have their case built on. There's not a lot there. Now, I don't know what more in Georgia they got there for election interference, but finally, finding 11,000 votes is not exactly a conviction in my book, okay? And I can tell you, I don't think that goes very far in the other aspects they had. I think the other one was, uh, would, they, would, would they indict him for the January 6th issue? And I think there's some issues there now that the House is controlled by the Republicans. I don't think that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, so I think there's some truth to that. So I'm not so sure they're going to have all this, but I mean, I think this is, this is the big wow that they have, you know, but, but this precedent has now forever shadowed what, what's happened with this indictment. It, you know, it broke, it shattered a pre, a previous precedent. Okay. That the, you know, that the, uh, the onus now falls on the, on the, uh, the, the deplorable of the American right to sober up and recognize the United States is now at the point of no return when it comes to weaponizing government powers and partisan prosecutorial apparatuses to reward political friends, punish political enemies. I mean, look, this is what they're doing. I mean, this is, you know, there is, you know to me, this is why you, you wonder, again, you wonder why you wonder why Democrats are flipping parties. You know, it's funny. I had somebody make a comment to me about why, why did Berks County flip? Now, when, when I came on, again, I'm, I'm the chairman of the Republican Party in Berks County, but when we came on into Berks County, I even remember uh, we were down like thirty or 40,000 votes. The Republicans were like, I, I want to say the Republicans were sitting at like 80,000 and the Democrats were sitting at 110 or something like that. The Democrats had more votes than we than the Republicans did. Okay, they were they outnumbered us by thirty thousand votes, and in five years, the Republicans now outnumber the Democrats in Berks County. So Berks County is now a Republican county. And I think what's really compelling on all this is why is that? Now, if you talk to people in the GOP, they would say, "Well, it's it's a great job that we've been doing in the GOP. Our committee's been doing a wonderful job." And I say there's some truth to that, but I think the real issue here is that the people in Berks County, I think I think the people in, in, in states like well like North Carolina and, and you know and and uh and and, and also in uh Louisiana and obviously in, in uh you know in in, in in Wisconsin, those people are, are seeing the Democrats. See when you look at the Democrats, you see the insane and then you run and you flee. I mean the best way to get away from the Democrat Party is to run really fast. I mean run. Okay, when you hear somebody trying to convince you to vote Democrat and they can't or vote for whomever, just I mean, forget Democrat. If you have anybody wanting you to to do something, to vote a certain way or support or to support a candidate that they support. So when you hear someone promoting their candidate to you saying, please support this person. And then when you find out that that person that they want you to support or maybe the person that's asking you to support that person, okay, maybe one or both of those people cannot define what a woman is or think that there's more than two genders. What kind of public policy do those, could those po people possibly come up with? You know, who are you going to support? You're likely not going, you're likely not going to support, uh, you're not, you're not going to support people that, that 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 can't that don't know the obvious they can't define the objective truth okay so when you're asking the question of course many of us are wondering why are the republicans why are democrats flipping why are they switching seats 
It's because what just happened to Trump, the Rubicon just got crushed, and you've got Democrats going, I don't believe these people. I can't believe it. You had people on CNN. This is what's interesting. CNN was just out there declaring on CNN. Of course, they had their their sixth panel, their seven their seven expert panel there talking about this indictment. They couldn't wait to get together. This was a big buildup before the indictment was released. There was a giant buildup in the fake news, and all these experts were all listening to the Twitter feeds. And again, that's another another under, another interesting aspect about reporters. Understand, folks, the way people look at get news anymore and the way reporters work. It used to be that reporters would get a story and they would investigate the story. They'd do interviews and they would get to the objective truth. And that is what the story was. And that's what they put out there. That was what they put out. Well, today it's a little different. Okay. Uh, now they get their, they get, you know, narratives, if you will, on Twitter feeds on Facebook feeds, social media feeds, if you will, or they just get their marching orders from their political cronies and they promote that out there. And the best, for instance, I can give you is what just happened with, with Andrew Cuomo, not Andrew, but Mario, you know, was, uh, yeah, Andrew Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo was the guy that was on CNN, Andrew Cuomo, and uh, he just, uh, no, Chris Cuomo, I'm sorry, Chris Cuomo was a CNN guy. So Chris Cuomo was just doing an interview with Bill O'Reilly. And I thought was interesting on that was that he just did it. And you could see that uh, he was telling Bill O'Reilly that Trump had more people that <clears throat> that were removed from his cabinet. In other words, removed, taken out of his cabinet for corruption. And uh, you could see O'Reilly looking, what is he talking about? Of course, my wife and I were watching the interview and she looked at me and says, what is he talking about? I said, he's lying. That's what he's doing. He's reporting it, a narrative. Well, O'Reilly caught on it. And Bill O'Reilly said, well, who specifically? And Cuomo says, I'll get you a list. I'll get you a list. And, of course, O'Reilly said, I don't want a list. I want one name. You're telling me that a whole slew of people were removed. I don't know that to be true because you said it doesn't make it true. So tell me the name. Of course, there was nothing forthcoming. Well, what's interesting, and this is where it comes down to, you've got political bantering right now. And, of course, all these experts who are on CNN, MSNBC, they were all trying to make the issue that, gee, we have a, uh, you know, we have a lot going on right now, and and of course they're trying to make, they, they, Trump is going to get indicted. The the buildup, the big wow was that this is going to be a, a a, a stickum. This 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 indictment would come with stickum, and Trump couldn't shake it. And he's going to go to jail, and so everybody was tuning into the big story, and everybody that tuned in, they probably had a surge of viewers because they wanted to see what's going on. And then every one of them stood there, and you could see the seller looks on their faces as they read the indictment. And they went, I don't believe how weak this is. This is so bad that 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 Alvin Bragg came forward with this. This is unbelievably partisan. You can see this is there is this is scandalous. There is no indictment. There's no there there. Where is Trump's Sixth Amendment right to having a clear indictment outlined in an indictment? Okay, that's the whole point of an indictment. Okay, is to have an indictment outline the indictment itself. So this is what's happening, and the world is getting a view of it. Democrats are getting a view of it right now in state assemblies. Democrats are getting a bird's eye view of what these indictments are all about. And you know, look, it's like you know, you want to talk about the law. No one is above the law. Just give me a break.
give me a break, okay? You want to look at people who are above the law. James Clapper, who lied under oath to Congress about spying on the American people, he's above the law. John Brennan, who lied who, who lied about a domestic spying operation on Senate staffers, well, he's above the law. You know, let's cut the comedy. You know, unlike Trump advisor Peter Navarro, Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, was never going to be handcuffed and thrown into prison for ignoring a congressional subpoena. So Holder ignores a, con a, a congressional subpoena, doesn't go. And Peter Navarro, well, he gets handcuffed, okay, thrown in prison. Talking about the double standard, it's laughable, folks. It's laughable. You know, Hillary Clinton, uh, she's above the law. Uh, the then Secretary of State set up a private server at home to circumvent transparency surrounding her slush fund foundation. You know, she sent 110 emails containing marked classified information, and 36 of those emails contain secret information. Eight of those email chains contain top secret information. Every one of those instances, folks, was a potential felony punishable but with up to 10 years of prison, every one of those instances. We know that. We all learned this from James Comey, okay, who was the FBI director. He noted that Clinton had been extremely careless in conducting her business, but Comey didn't commit, didn't recommend charges because he claimed the state couldn't prove Clinton's intent, even though gross negligence, not intent, was the only standard needed. So, Comey overlooked the law that said gross negligence. Comey read into the law something that wasn't there that said intent. Nowhere in that law does it say intent was needed to be proven, that he needed to prove the intent, that intent needs to be proven. No, only gross negligence. So yes, there was gross negligence. She was extremely careless, as he said. Okay, but again, no intent, but that we didn't need to have a proven intent because it was just gross negligence. And extreme carelessness. There's there's synonyms, folks. Let's go with the comedy. Gross negligence and sentiment and extreme carelessness are synonyms. Okay? They mean the same thing. Comey concocted a new standard just to protect Clinton because, yes, she's above the law. I mean, think about it. You know, when Bill Clinton perjured himself under oath, Democrats argued that, you know, conservatives are only pursuing Bill because of some trumped-up charge over sex. I mean, let's cut the comedy, my goodness. I mean, this is ridiculous. You got House Speaker, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying, everyone has the right to a trial and be proven innocent. You know, by everyone, does she mean just people she agrees with? I mean, really, I mean, that, I mean, if you think about this authoritarian form, formulation, you know, this, this, this authoritarian formulation is an accident. Folks, you, you've been paying attention. It, it, you haven't been paying attention if you think that this is all all an accident. You, you you haven't been paying attention. If you think this this formulation is an accident, you haven't been watching. Democrats were smearing Brett Kavanaugh as a gang uh, as, as a gang rapist a few years back. Remember that? Remember that? You remember Maisie Hoano from Hawaii when she was asked whether the, the dead nominee deserves same presumption of innocence as anyone else in America? Remember, she was asked that, asked that question. After all, this wasn't about any judicial disagreement, but about alleged criminal behavior, after all. So the Hawaii senator responded, well, I put this, I put his denial in the context of everything that I know about him in terms of how he approaches his cases. What does that even mean? 
So in other words, if you're a conservative, your your politics are evil. And if your politics are evil, you're probably evil. So that's why they say things. Okay. So out with the out with the objective truth with these people, okay? See, I mean, you, you just gotta understand, okay? I mean, it's it's likely to understand the rationalization of Lois Lerner or Merrick Garland, because they're both above the law too, when they weaponize government agencies against political opponents, remember? It's almost surely rationalizing of the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg here. I mean, he's he's the same difference. I mean, this is what justifies this is what justifies his increased, you know, you know, the his increasing comfort with deploying the state to punish and destroy political enemies. You know what's interesting is it used to be these liberals, these these liberals were declaring justice for all. Now they're declaring justice only for some. Think about it. This is why people are switching parties. You're asking the question, and you know, I'm answering the question here. Then my wife and I were talking about with Berks County. How could Berks County pick up forty thousand new Republicans? Think about it. Forty thousand new Republicans in five years. How can that happen? Because all they got to do is look at the Democrat Party. They look at it. They go, "Oh my goodness, what's going on? What's going on?" You know, the state of Pennsylvania went from an eight hundred thousand. Listen. 800,000 Democrat vote advantage to about 400,000 now. Now, that's still a lot of votes in a statewide election. But when you look at the statewide election, you understand there's like 8 million registered voters in the state, something like that. I mean, literally, it's like 5% now, okay? They have 5% more than the Republicans. So it's like 45 to 40 right now. And of course, then you have about 15% or so of the independents. There's less than a million independents but in Pennsylvania. But the bottom line is, folks, the Democrats do have a 45 seat. You know, they do have 45 registered vote voters, uh, more registered voters, 45% registered voters, 40% Republicans. But the independents represent almost 15%. And I can tell you, folks, that outnumbers the Ds in these elections if the elections are counted right and if you don't have unending ballot counting with the mail-in ballots, stuff like that. But again... <clears throat> Despite, folks, despite there being perfectly sound political arguments, okay, uh, you know, against this, against this indictment, okay, they, they still went forward with it. They still went forward with it. And I just think it's an amazing thing. I mean, DAs are now going to be in the business of indicting political opponents who put $130,000 on the wrong side of the ledger during a race that constitutes hundreds of millions of dollars. I, you know... I, I, I just think this is going to be meted out. I, I, I wonder if this is going to be equal justice on the law. You, know, you almost wonder. You almost wonder here. But, you know, I mean, I, I just think that people are seeing this double standard is waking everybody up. And I think that's what's calling on this new poll. I mean, you've got right now, CNN has a poll that says Joe Biden lacks stamina and sharpness to serve as president. 70% of the country, 70% of Americans, that's everybody, okay? 70% of Americans believe O'Biden lacks stamina and sharpness to serve effectively as president. And, uh, you know, 62% that he said he does not inspire confidence. So 54% believe he's not trustworthy and honest. 62% say he doesn't inspire confidence. 54% say he's not trustworthy and honest. 54% said also suggests he doesn't care about people like them. I can't believe only 54% of that. But it found that few Americans, 32%, think that Biden deserves re-election. 
Now, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. And only 44% say they state that uh, say that he should be nominated. 51%, a majority, 51% Biden cannot work effectively with Congress. 48% say he can. I Again, I, I don't think that's consistent with what I just said, though, with the stamina, but maybe they're just trying to parse it out. I believe the guy has no stamina. I believe that he, he, he has a real problem. But I mean, it's just it's just a real interesting thing here because CNN puts the poll out there saying he lacks the metal sharpness. You know, we can understand, though, that what's going on here. Americans are seeing this. And right now, I, I heard another poll uh, the other day that showed uh, that uh, Trump had a 7% increase with women uh, voters and uh, with independents, with independents. Uh, since this indictment. So women are flipping. So Trump might have been down, you know, 55, 45, but now it's a dead heat. 7% improvement's pretty good. I mean, if he's running at 50% with women, that's not good for the D's. And I tell you, a lot of people don't like the lack of fairness. And as this goes on, they're going to see this double standard. People are going to see it. I mean, when they say 34 indictments, they say 34 indictments. It's like, oh my goodness, a lot of indictments. You have to realize there were 34 payments made by Cohen to Daniels. And each one of those payments had a ledger entry. So each one of those entries is the is each indictment. So the indictment was, like, even the indictment itself was trumped up. They could have just said that the indictment is the, is the, uh, the, uh, the entries in the journal, if you will, the incorrect entries. They could have just made that. But they made each, to, to make it look bigger, they actually took, each indictment and they said okay each indictment will represent each entry i think that's just amazing they did it like that they're going to try their best to find one of these 34 entries to be anything that they have even one of them they're going to try to make it so that it was politically motivated this is what they're trying to do folks this is an amazing phenomenon you know and this is why trump is raising money hand over fist i mean he literally leads desantis by nearly 37 points now I mean, he's literally, I mean, honestly, I mean, and, and this is a Reuters poll, and I said, this puts right Reuters poll, which is, in, it, it, you know, it's, I want to say they're not as, it's not as accurate. These are more liberal slanted polls, but whatever the case is, uh, this poll was done after Trump's arrest, and uh, I mean, for, for conservatives, uh, they, they, they're dubbing this politically motivated, but 58% of registered, registered Republicans want him as their nominee. 58%. They want him as their nominee. DeSantis has not announced a candidacy for the race, but he has second place with 21%. And nobody else is over 5%. So when you look at this entire poll, you've got Trump sitting uh, at, you know, 58% and DeSantis at 21 Where that was before the indictment was 48%. And DeSantis was at 19 So Trump picked up 10 and DeSantis picked up 3 Okay. And in March, it was 44 to 30. So literally just three weeks ago, Trump was at 44%. Now he's at 48, 58%. So you have a huge, huge swing there. And DeSantis went from 30 to 21. So Trump went up 14 and DeSantis came down nine from where they were three weeks ago, according to these polls. Because they've been running these tracking polls. You can see it. So they know that this indictment has really rallied Trump's base and got people motivated to vote for him and work for him. And that's how elections are won. I mean, DeSantis was actually in the hunt the third week of March, and then all of a sudden the indictment came through, and now DeSantis is out of the hunt. I mean, literally, 
I mean, you had a swing, um, you had a swing of like almost 30%, you know, probably a swing of about 20, 25%. That's a huge, huge swing, huge swing. So, you know, what's happening again is Republicans are seeing this. And I mean, if, if it's possible, and I got to tell you, is it even possible? Is it possible? Is it possible to make Trump a victim or to cast him as a victim? It, you know, if it was possible, and I never would have thought possible it being possible, but it did happen. I mean, this whole incident has now portrayed Trump as the victim. So Trump is now being portrayed as the victim. So the impossible, the political impossible has already occurred. So if anybody wants to talk about can Trump win an election, can he beat all Biden for a third time? Can he beat him a second time? Can he can he win his third term? Can he do it? You know, can he do it? And the answer to that question is, well, you could answer your question with this with with asking and answering this other question. All right. That seems impossible, but what's even more impossible than that is is Trump could anyone portray Trump as a victim? Is that even possible? Well, it did happen. So this is what's happened. So now Trump is now being portrayed as a victim. And because of that, you had a 25-point swing in the Republican Party favorables, which is huge. Then you had another giant swing with independents and women voters. All right. So don't miss this. You even have Democrats and independents thing. And I don't like what I'm seeing here. You know, this is what this is all about. People don't like to see injustice. They just don't like to see it. You know, it just, it just, it's not right. People don't like to see that. So it's really compelling on all of this. And you understand that this is where I think Americans are. And I think it's just very telling because we as, as Americans need to understand this is what Trump's up against. This is what he's up against. And the insanity on the left, it truly, truly is. I mean, right now the left is passing laws and, and you know, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Oregon. Okay. Cause Oregon passed the law basically to put, you know, to basically, uh, to, to, to prevent Christians from adopting children on the basis of this gender theory. So think about this. I mean, the, a state disqualified Christians from adopting children because of their belief in the word of God. That's what this is all about. So if you're wondering if Christians are going to be persecuted, folks, it's happening with laws. They're passing laws that we talked about this. You know, what happens? And we, we, we talked about this some time ago. What happens when, uh, you know, what happens when, when, when a society does not you know, does not talk when a society begins to tolerate some, something. We know the axiom in the world. We know one axiom that we can count on for sure. And, and it's, it's a society is defined by what it won't tolerate, you know? So, you know, that's the truth of it. I mean, so what was once scorned and looked down upon, okay, all right, now they're, now they're, you know, basically we have this overturned reality. We have a reverse world, okay? You know, we have all this going on. And we're making laws to normalize and justify, justify, uh, justify uh, insanity. I mean, this is what this is. I mean, the laws are being made to not only give hearty approval to these people that live under these lies and this this pixie dust, but they're also, you know, they're also um, to to silence objections to this. I mean, that's what this is all about. They want to silence objections. So how do they do that? Well, I don't. Let's pass a law that says Christians can't adopt kids. Think about that. Let's do that. So let's pass a law that says Christians can't adopt kids because of their belief in the word of God. I can tell you, folks, I don't know, but I, you know, I think that's an amazing thing. I mean, it's ludicrous and it's it's wrong, but this is what the state of Oregon's done. Okay. 
I mean, that's, this is just an amazing thing. The Oregon Department of Human Services ruled that prospecting of adopting parents must respect, accept, and support, you know, what they define. So they're laying out the definition of what they have to support, respect, and accept, and support. So they're saying Christians don't accept and respect and support these items, you know, whether it be beliefs, orientation, identity, whatever. It, you know, they, they lay out everything. And believe me when I tell you, when they start laying this stuff out, what happens is they can break it down even more so they can actually get in there and write things in there. They're saying Christians don't do that. You know, it's 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 really sad because, I mean, I remember, you know, when you look at it, Christians are, you know, we live in a society that's now being defined, but, you know, that I mean, now where truth, is, where truth is being defined as hate speech or worse. I mean, that's the truth of it all, and we have to realize you know, George Orwell once stated that the more society drifts from the truth, the more people are going to hate those that speak the truth. And I think that just comes down to it. And again, I go back to what happened in, in, in Germany. Now, you know, we have to remember history. We got to understand, you know, what, what these, what these woke, you know, what these, and I want to say these uh, Antifa types, what these protesters were doing. I mean, they're, they're tearing down statues, tearing down the traditions burning down the traditions of the society we live in, the constructs. They want to tear them all down. And and they're 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 Jacobins. They're they're just they're they're just they're worse than political ideologues. They're they're revolutionaries, okay? And uh this is what happened in Germany when they destroyed a civilization. You know, the Nazis went from burning burning traditions, you know, they went from burning traditions and constructs to uh to burning books, if you will, you know censoring and removing books burning books to to literally burning people and i don't want to miss that so this is what's happened and and literally this is how a society transitioned from one to the next so when we understand folks and and looking at what happened in societies that went this way it all begins it all begins from the burning of the traditions and the constructs then it goes down to changing history and burning the books and changing and rewriting history to passing laws that outlaw certain things. In Germany, you got to look at the laws and understand the laws they passed to persecute the Jews all happened before they started going after them and confiscating their belongings and their lives. Folks, this is what's going on in Oregon. How, how Oregonians could pass a law, how that law could be passed in Oregon to do this is unbelievable. I mean, this is not just putting law, uh, ideology above the needs of ch children. But it's it's just it's unbelievable. I mean, uh, I mean, you have a mom of five who allegedly had her adoption application rejected over her Christian beliefs. So Jessica Bates was the, was the person we're talking about. She has five children and wants to adopt two siblings who are foster in her foster care, but she was denied because she expressed concerns over their over Oregon's progressive CRT instruction in the schools. This is what this is. So she had objection to that progressive, you know, CRT nonsense going on in the public schools. And so she voiced, expressed concerns. So they said, well, you can't adopt these two kids. You know, you got thousands of kids in foster care and hundreds waiting to be adopted in, in Oregon. Okay, Oregon has 8,000 kids in foster care and around 200 waiting to be adopted. And basically they put the state, they, they basically for this, the state actually put their political agenda and this this insane ideology above the needs of children. That's what's really amazing to me. 
and again, she has five kids. I mean, this is a very good family. I mean, and and you know, I mean, just from on the surface, okay, unless they had some other reasons, but they made it a comment, though, we're going to do it because she's expressed concerns over Oregon CRT uh, education. I mean, this is the truth, folks. You can bank on it, Denver. When we're asking the questions, why are Democrat elected Democrats switching parties? This is why. But now, to keep this in mind, this particular law is not on the 24-7 news cycles. Now, you can know if there was a law, anytime a state passes the law to restrict abortions or anything like that, that makes the 24-7 news cycle. But this one doesn't. What's the amazing thing is, because America is sleeping to this, they don't understand that they don't understand that lawmakers actually pass public policy condemning Christians for adopting kids. If that if this was a known thing here, there would be outrage in this country. Now I'm putting it on our show. We're talking about it, but make no mistake, folks. This is not going to be on the 24/7 news cycles. This is the objective truth that you'll get here on our show and maybe a few other shows like Tucker Carlson or something. But you're not going to get this on the 24-7 news cycles. This is not going to be the awareness of this particular issue, the perspectives that are that are in place already existing in the minds of Americans that would be opposed, that would put Americans against this law preventing Christians from adopting children. Folks, that perspective will never be put out there in the news so the people will not be aware of it. And because you're not aware of it, there is nothing else there. So Americans will not be aware, and therefore they won't know that there is a fight to be fought on this front. But we'll do what we can to wake everybody up and uh, in this country and in southeast Pennsylvania. But we have to leave it there, folks. Thanks for being with us today, for tuning into our show. Uh, see you later on today on our, our show, The Watch. we got a great show lined up. And folks, see you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Priest. Goodbye for now.